I went to the bathroom and you were gone and it was terrifying. (laughs) Is this the rapture? Do you remember when the rapture was a fear that everyone had that suddenly you would just wake up and half the people would be gone? I didn't know that fear. No, it was like such a thing in high school that everyone was like, if someone was missing, they'd be like, oh, they got raptured. This is around like 2012. I read this really creepy like Twitter thread the other day that was like a conspiracy theory that the world did end in 2012 and like all of our consciousness has got moved to a simulation then. I've also heard that conspiracy theory, which is a crazy one, but a good one. I was like, oh no, man. Honestly, that's one of the more believable. Like I believe that more easily than some other ones. Yeah. That were that we like we did die in 2012. I don't know when I, in 2012 I would say it happened for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, what moment did I cross over into a simulation? That's when I did Titanic, when my character <laughs> was on the boat. <laughs> yeah, what was going on in 2012? It was it was like was well, it was December on? of 2012, wasn't it? When it like when like the world quote unquote ended. So oh yeah, so that, that was, was like senior year. yeah senior fall. What was I doing? Some bullshit, I'm sure. (laughs) Are you ready to get started? Uh, Yeah, yeah. All right, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. Jay. This is a little... I wanted to say it in a weird way, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Jane, how are you? I'm doing well. I go back to New York on Saturday. Yay! I know, it's crazy. I'm not going to be there, which is bad. She's going to stay in my room. Sleep in your bed. It's my hotel. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Hotel, Hotel de Sarah. <laughs> I'll just stare at all your things and miss you. Oh, so so sweet, so romantic. <laughs> um, when we, I had people over at our apartment on Saturday for my birthday, and one of them was like, "Your room is so nice. Like, I feel like you have, I feel like you have a real adult room, and I feel so not put together." <laughs> and, um, it was, it was our friend Aaron who's moving in with his wonderful boyfriend, and I'm so happy for that. <gasps> and I was like, Aaron, like, you're moving in with your significant other. Like, that's so much more adult than like. <laughs> Me putting frames on a postcard I bought. <laughs> it was very nice. That was very nice, though. I, I feel like I've invested a lot of time and money into my room because now that it's been established that I will live there longer than a year, I'm like, okay, yeah. you can put effort. It's hard to put effort into a place you only live for a year. That's yeah. how I felt in Lombard. But when you live there for an extended period of time, you're like, all right, I'm going to put in the effort. Yeah. Um. So in, enjoy, enjoy my room, Jane. Oh, I will. Yeah. This is like <laughs> a little fake because we just recorded the last episode. Oh yeah, Sarah, long time no talk. How are you? <laughs> so long. Um, I'm good. I'm good. My summer job is over, which is really nice. Get to go on a little bit of a vacation. I'm on vacation as we as this episode's being released. I'm in the middle of my vacation. Um, hopefully, I'm having a good time. Oh. 
Um, hopefully I'm not sunburned and hopefully I'm no longer sick. Uh, but I, I'm good. I <laughs> text me when this episode comes out and <laughs> Sarah, tell the people how you are and I'll, I'll let them know. I'll let them know. Um, so right now I'm, I'm doing good. I'm not really 30. <laughs> Not flirt. No, I'm not 30. I'm not 24. Kind of sore, surviving. <laughs> oh my gosh, I won that on a T-shirt. <laughs> 24, sore, <laughs> surviving. Uh, <laughs> wow, excellent. Um, all right, are we are we ready to get started? I guess so. Um, Jane, two weeks ago, I asked you about. The phrase going postal, and you've told me it's got a very short answer. So it really does. <laughs> All right. I, I tried I to find information about it. Um, so, the meaning of the phrase to go postal means to fly into a violent rage, especially when provoked by workplace stress. Now, oh, this phrase uh, was first used by the Florida newspaper, the St. Petersburg Times, in December 1993. Uh, because uh, the the quote in which they used it was that there was a symposium that was sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service, and it was described by the newspaper as the symposium was sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service, which has seen so many outbursts that in some circles, excessive stress is known as going postal. Now, that is in reference to the fact that it re- really, the first was in, well, the first one was in 1970, but um, I th- most of them were in the 80s. Uh, there was uh, like tw- uh, around 20 shootings <gasps> that all took place in post office. Oh my God. And they were all different people. They were all different people. They were all across America. Um, they, the like total death count is around 40. Oh my God. Um, yeah, between 1970 and 1997, more than 40 people were killed by current or former employees of the United States Postal Service. Oh. And the, like, reasons that were given were workplace rage. Wait, so it was the post office employees that killed people who were in the post office? Yes, but, like, that's what people say, but a lot of these incidents were, like, the shooting occurred in the post office, but it was caused but but there are multiple factors um the first one was the 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 first one that is like included in this was in los angeles california in 1970 Mm -hmm. uh when harry sendro who was a postal supervisor was shot in the back three times by alfred kellum um who was a a worker at the post office and he had been sent home for being intoxicated oh oh no uh, yeah and um he like came back in drunk and shot harry sandro but then later on he was arrested because he was like so intoxicated that he passed out oh my god uh there was um another one in 1986 in edmond oklahoma on august 20th um 14 employees were shot that's one of the bigger numbers of people six were wounded uh 14 were killed oh my god so i guess 20 were shot total. And, um, yeah. And that one was the post office worker uh, yes. who worked at a post office. It was a, gotcha. po- it was, it was a postman. Gotcha. So postal delivery person uh, who then committed suicide. Oh. Um, there was one in Ridgewood, New Jersey in 1991, Royal Oak, Michigan in 1991. Um, there were and two- most of these were 
postal workers committing yeah. the crimes. Yes. Okay. Um, there was there were two on the same day on May sixth of nineteen ninety three, a few hours apart. Oh, one in Dearborn, Michigan, and one in Dana Point, California. Oh, that's creepy. As a result of those two shootings in nineteen ninety three, the U- United States Postal Service created like um had eighty five workplace environment analysts. The like that position was created oh. to like, keep track of how things were going. And then the but show it, Undercover Boss was invented. Yeah, but it's interesting because um there have been like studies done of what it's like to be a a, a worker in the U.S. Postal Service. Right. And statistically, they found that that job is no more stressful than any other comparable occupation. Right. Like, why post office workers as opposed to, like, garbage truck people? Yeah, I don't know. And the number of incidents was, like, no... Like, like, the danger level of working in the United States Postal Service is no worse than other forms of employment. So, (laughs) well, maybe, like, danger in terms of, like, outside factors, but I guess in terms of mental factors... But they they found that that job is like yeah it's it can it probably can be a stressful job depending on like what position you have and where you work and yada yada right but like it's not considered one of the most stressful ones so that it's right. like funny that that phrase has come from this it's funny because in the same year that um the Saint Petersburg Times wrote that um article in which they used the phrase going postal they coined it um. They went on to say 35 people have been killed in 11 post office shootings since 1983. And that was only in 1993. And that doesn't include the 1971. Um, oh my God. The USPS does not approve of the term going postal. <laughs> has made attempts to stop people from u- using the saying. Some postal <laughs> workers, however, feel it has earned its place. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're like, USPS is making us put this in here, but we disagree. <laughs> Yeah, and then the Los Angeles Times later that um, month said, um, unlike more deadly, unlike the more deadly mass shootings around the nation, which have lent a new term to the language, referring to shooting up a post office specifically is going postal, or referring to shooting up the office is going postal. So, so if I, anybody shot up their place of work, regardless yeah, of the post office or not, it would be called going postal. going postal. Interesting. All right, this is relevant to bring up in the time we live in right now oh boy wow okay lots to think about why do you think it's post office people like why do you jane think it's post office people i don't know i personally am surprised that we're not hearing about like going dmv or like right like that would be where you would maybe it has to do with the attitudes of the people who you are serving in a post office but I don't know. People get mad everywhere. Although I will say like waiting at the post office, like it's one of my least favorite things. I'd say like post <laughs> office DMV, my two least favorite places to be. But going DMV. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I like maybe, do you think it's like people get a little crazy when it's stuff that they consider their like personal belongings? I don't know. I mean, that job, I guess, if you think about it, like you have to deal with a lot of people as well as just like workplace responsibilities, like general ones. Like you have like right. the behind the desk job and the right customer service aspect of it. Right, 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 right. I feel like maybe it's I wonder if it has anything to do with like 
I don't know. Maybe they're putting something on the envelopes to make people go crazy. Uh, like in Seinfeld. What? <laughs> oh, in Seinfeld there was like a a plot where um. George, the character George Costanza was engaged to this woman and she died because the because he bought <laughs> this it's supposed to be a comedy uh but he was like super cheap and didn't want to buy the more expensive envelopes for their wedding invitation so she like <laughs> the end of the like sticky stuff that you have to lick for yeah. the envelope was like poison and it killed her <gasps> oh my god someone else was just talking about licking envelopes and how it's bad for you I don't remember. I don't remember what it is. Yeah, well, I don't what's trust the alternative? Get out a sponge and sponge it. I know people that sponge it. That sponged it. Um, I would use when I worked in the admissions office at Muhlenberg. We would use little like wet sticks, and we would use little glue sticks, and we would glue them instead of licking them because that's gross. Or you just get a sticker and you sticker it shut. <laughs> <laughs> you get some tape. Like a lady, <laughs> you sticker it, you sticker it shut. Um, Safety pa- staples. So, have there been any instances of people going postal since, specifically in post offices? Like, how many more stress-related work shootings have happened in post offices since the eighties? Um. Well, the most recent one listed was in Columbus, Ohio, in twenty seventeen. Oh. When Dishwan Stewart uh, murdered two colleagues, his supervisor, his supervisor, and the postmaster. It doesn't give the reason. So have they been consistently happening since this term was coined in the 80s, or have they kind of slowed down? Well, let's look at the numbers. <laughs> it went <laughs> 1970, and then it jumped to 1986, and then 1991, 91, 93. Oh, right. They were in the early 90s. I thought. Um, 2006, and then there were two in 2017. <gasps> oh, all right, so they have been kind of all over the place. Yeah. When was the phrase going postal officially coined? 1993 in the St. Petersburg, in that article, in the St. Petersburg. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Although they were claiming that people at this symposium were, like, already using that phrase, but it was the first recorded gotcha. example we have. Gotcha. All right, well, I guess we shouldn't take jobs at post offices then. No. More likely to murder somebody if you work at a post office. I wonder if that's like tracked data. Like, at which job are you most likely to commit a murder? Oh, to commit? Oh, um. <laughs> As opposed to be a victim. That's different. Um, I don't know. You most likely to commit. I mean, like a doctor, I guess. Well, that's not really considered that's murder. Manslaughter, manslaughter, malpractice, or yeah. <laughs> but it's like yeah. different if it's if it's like intentional or if it's if you were right. trying to save them. That's different. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I don't really want to. But the trailer, there's a part where that one guy's like, "My hands are registered as lethal, lethal weapons. We get in a fight. I accidentally kill you. I go to jail." And then Brad Pitt goes, "Anybody who accidentally kills somebody goes to jail. It's called manslaughter." <laughs> <laughs> it always makes me laugh because <laughs> the look he gives him, like, what? <laughs> Well, that's like, I saw some tweet recently that was like, oh, women want equality. Well, like, then I should be able to punch women. And someone was like, we well, are not allowed to punch men either. That's yeah. like, <laughs> that's assault. <laughs> yeah. You're also not allowed to punch men. Oh, my God. Why are men just so, they just, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
oh my god jane when this comes out leo season will be over no it's okay we like virgos we do we like virgos Virgo season is still fine that's fine we like that for us but i will miss, <laughs> I will miss leo season um <laughs> are we more likely to go postal in leo season maybe I don't know, because I feel like in Leo season, I'm very, like, hyper aware that I need attention. Right. Like, I'm like, it's Leo season. Everything must be about me. So if something's, like, not going well, I'm more right. angry by it because I'm like, it's supposed to be Leo season, so you need to relax. Like, yeah. How dare you be mean to me during Leo season? Hold on. I want to see if I get – what did CoStar say to me yesterday that was, like, wild? Today, it said something to me that I was like, oh, wow. Oh, on Sunday they said to me, "Would you treat an animal like you treat yourself?" And I was like, "Oh boy, that's a drag on self care." Oh, today it was just it's okay to do the bare minimum once in a while. I would say today I've done the bare minimum. This is the most. Mine said, "Um, you can be broken with healthy heart aspirations." Oh, that's nice. Uh, It was funny because I've gotten all of my counselors to download CoStar, and uh, (laughs) amazing. Uh, now we all like share with each other what our thing is and I never really paid much attention to what it like says like like power in this pressure in that like yada yada yada. but today my um one of my counselors was like oh cool look I have um we're in like almost everything but I have uh, he had pressure in something oh he had pressure in self and he was oh. like, this is the first time that Kosar has ever told me I've had pressure in anything. And I was like, are you kidding me? I constantly have, have pressure. pressure. Yeah, what, and then I looked at mine and the right only now. thing I had power in was work. Which, oh, no. <laughs> and then I have pressure in or trouble in literally every other category. So I was like, that's. <laughs> How does Kosar do this? This is I have power in thinking and creativity um pressure in spirituality and social life i feel that trouble with work sex and love and self like get out of my head (laughs) i don't want you in there i I have trouble with sex and love and self but i have power in work but i don't know if that applies to like my life life or just like the fact that i of course now that it's the end of the summer i feel like i'm really hitting a stride (laughs) working at camp (laughs) right right and you're about to come back to yeah Tells me I'm going to hit uncharted waters. Well, <gasps> let's hope that just means vacation and not something more ominous. Um, you know, the Titanic hit uncharted waters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Last episode, a whole week ago. Oh, yeah. It was a whole, it's been a week since we talked about that, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you even bring it up? <laughs> <laughs> Who was I listening to? Oh, my gosh. I rewatched the episode. Oh, sorry. This is a rant, but your thing was really short, so it's fine. I'm sorry. Uh, I was watching BuzzFeed Unsolved, and I was in awe at how good both Ryan and Shane can do a Christopher Walken impression. (laughs) And then I was like, are they just very talented, or is Christopher Walken just a really easy one to do an impression of? You gotta get the cowbell. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh it's like why why is it so easy i love christopher walken i have a camper that can do a flawless patrick warburton and i'm not sure he even knows who that is who is he'll just start talking and i'll be like why are you doing cronk right now and he'll be like I oh am. yeah i'm like you don't know but you are doing cronk you are doing a cronk impression i love impressions i wish i was better at them i'm no good 
There, there are some ones that I, I'm literally terrible at, but my mom thinks I can do the most amazing Rachel Maddow, but I have been asked to do it several times and it's always embarrassing because everyone's like, I don't get it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I, I'm doing that thing about how she thinks she's really funny, but she's really kind of not, but she, she's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It's like hard to explain. Yeah. Um. All right. Is that everything about going postal? It is. <laughs> Sorry. It's not a lot. Wow. A whopping 20 minutes in. Wow. All right. You've given me a lot to work with, which is great, <laughs> which is totally fine. Um. Okay. So let's move on to Reddit. And this is a, this is a discussion one. So it's probably, it's okay. Oh, that good. You're I like the discussion ones. I like discussion ones. Okay. So the question, this question came up on no stupid questions. And I'd like to know your thoughts. Would you be okay with being under surveillance if you were absolutely sure that they weren't using, that they weren't distributing it? Or like if they were, if you were sure about what they were using it for? I don't know. Oh. Here's I don't, you said I don't know what they're using it for? No, this is like you, you know that you're under surveillance, but you know what the, what the purpose of the surveillance is. Like you'd be like a test subject for something, but right, like they say, like you're under surveillance because we are collecting data about um, habits of people between the ages of 22 and 26 living in New York City, and they would say, like this content will not be distributed, like, like if if literally when you bought. Uh, an Alexa or um, like the Google Home thing. It said like we are collecting data. Here is what it's for. But you are under surveillance. Would you be okay with knowing that if you knew what it was for? I don't know. I, or would you be okay with being surveyed? With being surveyed? If you if you knew I mean, what the I, I, for? I don't really have anything to hide. Right. That's how I feel. It's like I don't have any. I don't have anything to hide. So I don't. Feel like I know, I know Alexa's listening. She's not in the room right now. I know she's listening. Hey, girl. Like, like I know how I get my ads on Instagram. <laughs> like, it's not a secret at this point. And I know that Facebook can see everything I click on and Instagram can see everything I click on. Like, I, I do already know that, but I don't have anything to hide. And I'm interested in this because I, I, I think when we talk about surveillance, like, is there more things that can be prevented by surveillance? I don't know. But then that sounds so like 1984-ish of me. <sighs> it, it, I don't know. It's like, I don't have anything to hide, so I don't I mind mean, being... Like, yeah, I don't want to... I don't think I want... I think if it was like a voluntary thing, then that would be fine. But I don't want to like live in a big brother world. Right, right. I think it would also be like, are we talking about audio or video, right? Like... <laughs> Uh, um, and like, I would need to know, like, who's watching, why they're watching, what the reason is, right. it's a good reason. Right, right. Yeah, I think there's a lot you need to know. But I think it is interesting, because uh, I'd be interested to see who the people who are uncomfortable with this are hiding, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's really really hard. The like the poor way FBI agent to my laptop. I don't give him anything good. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably know, so he's bored. Like, he's like, you're so nice. It's so well behaved. <laughs> um, so the the full post was. I'm wondering this because it seems to me that the fear part of privacy breaches 
um, of privacy breaches comes from being unsure of the purpose or the present of it. If you were under surveillance, unaware of it, digital, physical, or otherwise, but you could absolutely be sure of the purpose um, of the surveillance, wouldn't the scary part of being under surveillance be completely mitigated? Which I don't think it is. I think someone watching you is scary no matter what, but I do think it is a little scary being like, okay, like I know people are recording me and I don't know why. If something is predictable and agreeable, in my mind, it is no longer scary. It would still be technically be a breach of privacy. Like, the real example is that um, they're not wary about sending data to companies when they ask for it because they know that they're only going to use it to try to sell things um, and in a lesser but related degree improve their products. But often the danger there's danger of not being able to trust the company if it were guaranteed that they would actually use the data for the stated purpose wouldn't the ethical implications be mitigated so for example an example of like surveillance i think they mean is if you have a mac like i do if i said that mac could survey me while i'm on my computer like as long as i'm using the computer they have Mm. access to what i'm doing um supposedly for the stated for the stated purpose to improve the performance of the computer to see how the computer functions mm. and they only used it for that purpose would i be okay with it say with like my iphone i don't know well how do you trust that they will only use it for that purpose Right, there's, like, such a degree of trust in that. I guess if it's, like, maybe they're talking about, like, the legality of it. Like, if it's, like, oh, yeah, they can survey you all they want, but they have to legally not breach a contract of, like, what it's being used for. That's, like, any contract, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird because, like, it's a hard question because it's no longer a question of are we being surveyed it's like we are we are being watched we are absolutely being watched and listened to so i guess it's about like the degree of comfort yeah but what you don't know can't hurt you well i just reached my hand down and blue bonked it and i was like oh the level the like language of love and cat forehead bonks forehead bonk (laughs) so sweet so kind um that's my thoughts on that do you have any last thoughts about security i don't know i can't wait to find out i'm in the truman show except it's the jane show just kidding that was not true that would be a (laughs) i feel like my life would be very different if i I was about to say what do you mean you can't wait (laughs) you should be able to wait (laughs) please wait (laughs) because that means i'm on the show too (laughs) that means you're an actor (laughs) Jane, I'm an actor. I was hired to live with you. <laughs> all right, all right. Are you ready to hear about Dolly Parton? I am. Okay, so remember when we did the climate change episode and I went out and I got that book, What is Climate Change? Yeah, did you Our go children? out and get a book called What is Dolly Parton? Yeah, I got Who is Dolly Parton? <laughs> <laughs> oh my it's like this crazy cartoon of her with like her really big head that's what all the photos of people looks like which is really ironic because at my school we have um who was who was amelia Earhart. um they have them for all these people i've decided you're only allowed to ask me about things that have one of these books (laughs) 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 they're so easy and they're so cute they're written like narratively ask you yeah The collection of Barnes and Noble was insane. There was so much, and I was like, I'd love to cover this. Um, it's so interesting. And then I get to read a book, and it's really nice, and it appeases everybody. Um, so a lot of the information is from this book, and then it's like kind of this plus Wikipedia, like 
piled together. Um, This was so narrative that I almost had a hard time with it. I was like, okay, how do I translate this into facts? So Wikipedia helped me more with the, like, this is how many awards she got and stuff like that. This is, is, like, written for kids. It'd be like, Dolly didn't want to give up her dream. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like... Good for her. Dolly that Parton does sound is, like a children's book, Dolly. Yeah, Dolly <laughs> Dolly Parton um, is a good example of when to dream big. Amelia Earhart is not. It's just so funny because, like, <laughs> okay. I feel like if I were talking about anybody else, and, I, like, like, I wouldn't be saying things along the lines of, like, she should have stopped when she did, when this minor conven- inconvenience happened. She right. should have known when they needed re- to repair right. the plane that she should have never flown again. Or like, Yeah. <laughs> She got because when you were in that situation, you're just gonna keep powering through, right? Like, what was she supposed to do? Stay in New Guinea? No, you give up. Yeah. (laughs) Quit at dysentery. (laughs) When you're playing Oregon Trail, if you get dysentery, just quit. (laughs) Oregon Trail. When you get dysentery, quit. (laughs) It's not fun after that. Okay, no, it's all downhill after dysentery. <laughs> okay, um, all right. So, Dolly Rebecca Parton was born on January nineteenth. Yeah. 19- That's a normal middle name. <laughs> it is <laughs> January nineteenth, nineteen forty-six, in her family's one-room cabin on the banks of Little Pigeon River in Pittman Center, Tennessee. I cannot do a Tennessee accent, otherwise I'd do it for this whole thing. She is the fourth of her parents' twelve children. And they lived in one room? They lived in one room. (laughs) Nine of Dolly's siblings are still alive today. Um, Fun fact, her oldest sister is named Willa Dean, which I'm assuming is in the movie Dumplin'. Her name is Willow Dean. Her sister's Willa Dean. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that was like a reference to her sister, which I thought was really nice. Aww. Also, Dolly Parton worked on the movie Dumplin', which like makes sense because it's only her music. <laughs> but I was like, whoever made this is a big Dolly Parton stand. No, it's Dolly Parton standing herself, which we good. everyone go watch Dumplin'. So it's good. So good. <laughs> so good. So so good. Um, Dolly Parton's father, uh, Lee, known as Lee, was a sharecropper. Um, but eventually her family was her owned mother her named Daw. No, her Lee. name was uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Me just getting furious. No, that was meant to come out so angry. No, her father's name was Lee, and her mom's name was Avi Lee. <laughs> they were both Lee. <laughs> The dad just went by, and the dad went by Lee as a nickname. Like that wasn't, I think his first name what was his first name, Robert. Oh, his name was Robert. So he was Robert Lee Parton, and her mom was Avi Lee Owens. But the dad went by Lee, so then the mom had to be Avi Lee. <laughs> like what? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, her father was a sharecropper when her older siblings were born, and sharecropping is when you farm the land, but you still you don't own it, so you have to give half your crops to the other person that owns it um but then oh eventually God, they say cropping you share your crops wow sorry yeah it was it was a thing that was a law that was invented to like keep slaves enslaved essentially um but eventually he saved enough money and they were able to buy their own plot of land and they literally like cultivated everything for themselves the only thing that they had to buy in a store was coffee and sugar everything else they made for themselves um her mother was a mother of 12 children by the age of 35. 
Let that sink in. <laughs> let's say, let's say you do one baby a year. That means <laughs> she started when she was 23. She had, twins. she had one set of twins. No, she started, they got married when her father was 17 and her mom was 13. Oh, sure. She was 15 and he was 17. But still. Still not. So late. she wasn't pregnant every year, but like many of them. And she did have one set of twins. So she had 10, pre- she had um 11 pregnancies. It's like Queen Victoria. Now yeah. she like did not want to be pregnant, but she was pregnant so much of her life. She was pregnant all the time. Like uh, that just sounds terrible. Um, their family had no electricity, no car, and no running water, and they lived two miles outside of town. They literally had to cross a rope bridge over a river and walk two miles every time they wanted to get anything. Um, it sounds like Little House on the Prairie, but with way more children. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like more or a little house in the big woods. I guess it would be. I don't know. The what early is. days. Oh, it's the same thing. The um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> no, no, no. The, it's like Laura Ingalls Wilder like wrote these books about her. And when she was younger, she lived in a little house in the big woods. And then at some point in her life, her family moved to the prairie. So the next book was called oh. Little House in the Prairie. <laughs> oh, the more you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dolly's grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher. I'm going to call her Dolly. Like, I know I don't know her, but, like, I love her. She's my friend. Um, Her grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher, so they spent a lot of time in church where she had her earliest public performances. That's where she really started seeing. Um, She made her own guitar at age seven, um, and it looked more like um, a fiddle. It was, like, a kind of guitar that you would literally sit on your lap and play, like, with it on your lap. Um, But then her Uncle Bill gave her her first real guitar at age eight. Dolly's family was very poor, and she was often teased in school for it, which is really sad. She would wear her hair teased high to make up for her height because she's only five feet tall. But other students would call her trashy for doing this and because she loved to wear bright colors and really do herself up. Um, but while in school, she met her lifelong best friend, Judy Ogle, and the book talks about how they've been best friends for over 50 years, and it's really sweet. Um, one time, her mother made her a wool winter coat out of scraps of fabric, and Dolly loved it because her mom worked really hard on it, but the other students ridiculed her for it because they thought it was ugly, and they could tell that, like, she was poor, and it had been made out of scraps. Um, and this is what, this experience is what her hit song, Coat of colors is about which ended up becoming like a very very famous song um and part of the reason that dolly parton is so popular is because unlike other country singers which write a lot about love and wealth she writes a lot about poverty and struggling and she wrote very honestly about the truth of like living in the backwoods where everyone was Mm. really poor and there were a lot of mental health problems her mother was very depressed um and she wrote very candidly about this which is part of the reason why she's so popular um at age 10 she started singing on local radio and tv programs in east tennessee she started appearing weekly on the cast walker show and she recorded her first single puppy love on a small louisiana label um gold band records so that's when she really started performing for the public and um the book like talks about with a narrative about the first time singing and about how everyone loved her immediately um her uncle bill supported her music career a lot that's the one who gave her the guitar and it took her to tennis took her all around tennessee um to get people to hear her and he once took her to nashville to try to get her to sing at the grand old opry and they did actually manage to get her to perform because they got her backstage just before security was a thing and she sang for some of the like very famous country singers there and they were like yes put this girl on stage um and johnny cash introduced her when she first sang at the Grand Opry, which I thought was crazy. Wow. Um, 
is really cool. Um, so she graduated high school in 1964 and moved to Nashville the next day, moving in with her uncle Bill, who was also her songwriting partner. Um, Dolly Parton has has been known for writing like literally thousands of songs. Like even when she was, the book talks about how she was working so hard that she was barely sleeping. Um, that she wasn't. She finally made enough money to have her own apartment, but she could barely afford to eat. And like even though she was working these crazy long hour days to make enough to stay in Nashville, like she still managed to write thousands of songs. On her first day in Nashville, according to this book, I don't know if this book like kind of was just romanticizing this. Um, she met her husband, her future husband, Carl Dean. They started dating, but then he joined the army and spent two years overseas. So he kind of immediately left mm. to fight in Vietnam. And then they briefly mentioned that her best friend Judy joined the Air Force. And I was like, yes, 60s feminist queen. Um, good for you for joining the Air Force. <laughs> Love that for you. Um, <laughs> in 1965, she signed with Monument Records as, quote, a bubblegum pop singer. I don't know what that means. <laughs> But, like, we love bubblegum, I guess. Um, She did not achieve great success as a pop singer, and Monument resisted her urge to sing country because they thought her vibrato was not suited for country music. Uh, Oh, get out of here. She can do whatever she wants. Her song Put It Off Until Tomorrow was recorded by Bill Phillips in 1966 with her on the backup harmonies. So she wrote this song, and then some other country singer sang it. But she was a backup singer and people were noticing her voice in the background on the radio. So that made Monument like relent. Her first country single, Dumb Blonde, reached number 24 on the country chart. And her second song, Something Fishy, reached number 17. And then in 1967, she released her first album, Hello, I'm Dolly. And it featured both of those both of those songs, which are very popular. Country musician Porter Wagoner offered Dolly a spot on his TV show and in his road show after his former partner, Norma Jean, no relation to Marilyn Monroe, but like, wow, um, left the show. The audience was reluctant towards Dolly um, because they liked Norma Jean so much as Porter's partner. Um, But Wagoner convinced his label RCA Victor to sign her. They released her first single as a duet with Wagoner. Um, Their cover of Tom Paxton's Last Thing on My Mind reached the country's top 10, and it began a six-year streak of consistent top 10 singles for the pair. Um, And this is where her career, like, really took off. Throughout the remainder of the 60s, none of Dolly's solo singles were nearly as popular as her duets with Wagoner. Wagoner invested Mm. a great deal in her. He was her co-producer and owned almost half of the publishing company Parton had founded with her uncle Bill. And this was for, like, musicians to buy rights to her lyrics and songs. Um, So he, like, the two of them were very, very close and he had a big financial investment in Dolly's career. But the two of them became very frustrated with Dolly's lack of solo, of solo success. Her recording of Jimmy Rogers's Mule Skinner Blues got number three on the charts, mm-hmm. um, which she recorded as sort of a like all relent and like given to like a gimmicky type of song. Um, but then in 1971, Joshua became her first number one single, followed by numerous solo hits. So it really took her doing this one like gimmicky type of song to gain people's attention. And then in late 1973, she released Jolene. It topped the country chart and it made it into the Hot 100. And it also charted in the UK and put her on the map as a serious country musician in the United Kingdom. Aww. 
After the success of Jolene, Parton decided to leave Wagoner's organization. They performed as a duo for the last time in April 1974. And then she wrote that song, I Will Always Love You, about their professional break. Um, even though he still continued to co-produce a couple of her records and they still were close friends, they no longer were like professional partners. Um, between 1974 and 1980, she consistently charted the country top 10. She had her own variety show between 1976 and 1977 called Dolly exclamation point exclamation ah! point. <laughs> in 1976 she began aiming her music towards a mainstream pop direction she partnered with high profile pop producer Gary Klein to produce Here You Come Again the album became the first to sell 1 million copies and top both the country and the pop charts she won a Grammy Award for best female country vocal performance for this album wow her commercial success grew in 1980 with three consecutive country chart number one hits. The Donna Summer written song Starting Over Again, Old Flames Can't Hold a Candle to You, and finally Nine to Five, which topped the country <laughs> and pop charts in early 1981. Nine to five. I love that song so much. Oh my gosh. True, I love it so much. Um, in 1980, she starred with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin in the film Nine to Five. Um, as I said before, that hit song reached number one on both the country and the pop charts. And she is one of the few country singers to do this simultaneously to hit number one on both at the same time. Wow, but she did it because Nine to Five is a banger song. Look <laughs> <laughs> about Nine to Six here, which is a very different. <laughs> song um nine to five also won multiple grammy awards and an oscar nomination for best song as it should have of course also she's so good in that movie you haven't seen the movie nine to five right no i haven't oh my god i get back i from... love steel magnolia <laughs> yeah, I, was about to, I was about to mention steel magnolias um when i get back from vacation we're watching nine to five because it is it is so good it is it is the feminist media that we all need in the world and it's it's Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin. Like, I can't think of a more powerful trio. She should guest star on, what's their show? Um, uh, uh, Grace and uh, Frankie. Grace and Frankie. Oh, if yeah. If she hasn't already. I don't think, I wonder if she has. Because they have a show wow. together. She's, yeah, they do. It just occurred to me that that's also Jane Fonda and Lily, and Lily Tomlin. Tomlin. So I never think of them like I I know I th always think of Grace and Frankie Frankie and Nine to Five so separately. I'm like no, that's also them. I need to watch that show just because I like <laughs> Nine to Five so much. Okay, so <laughs> there was some SNL sketch that they did in the past year that was about like just Pete Davidson just being like obsessed with Grace and Frankie and being like y'all are sleeping on this show. <laughs> I th I'm pretty sure the purpose of the sketch was like Game of Thrones is over. What do we watch now? And then people were like trying to pitch things that were like serious and like actually like <laughs> Game of Thrones. But then just Pete Davidson being like, no, Grace and Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, in 1981, Parton appeared in the musical film The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, for which she received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress. And then she later wrote songs for either the stage adaptation or a later adaptation of the film or something like that. She did something else with it later. Um, she is all, she appears in several other films and TV shows throughout her life, most notably Steel Magnolias in 1989, um, which is about Fine Muse, which is my sorority. So mm -hmm. we stand Steel Magnolias. Um, Although by the mid-80s, her record sales were still relatively strong, RCA Records did not renew her contract. She signed with Columbia Records in 1987. Nice. Um, 
Dolly Parton's greatest commercial success of the 90s occurred when Whitney Houston re-recorded I Will Always Love You in 1992. <laughs> um, and this is this is like a really sweet, sad thing. On February 11th, 2012, after the sudden death of Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton put out a public statement that said, Mine is only one of the millions of hearts broken over the death of Whitney Houston. I will always be grateful and in awe of the wonderful wonderful performance she did on my song. And I can truly say from the bottom of my heart, Whitney, I will always love you. You will be missed. Aww. She loved her cover. She loved her version of it. Which was for a movie, and I did not know that. Yes, yeah, for The Bodyguard, wasn't it? Yeah, I've never seen that movie. Did not know that. Um, so I was like, "What?" Because <laughs> like, My... I feel like that's just a meme now. <laughs> so I can't imagine it being like seriously used in a movie. I swear, in eighth grade or something, my eighth grade like homeroom teacher, we had like a day, we had like a movie day or something. Like one of those days where you don't have any class or anything, and the teacher's like, "This is what we're gonna do." Anyway, he like we he wanted to show us this movie and he was like, it's this amazing movie. It's called the bodyguard, but it was a, it was not the bodyguard, the famous movie. It was like about this like elementary schooler who was being bullied. So he like hires this wrestler to come like be his bodyguard at school. And and then I forget the rest of the plot, but that's what I thought the bodyguard was. And then someone, people kept telling me that that the song was written for that movie. And I still haven't seen the actual original movie, but I know it's like, this amazing film with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner, but I maybe one day we'll watch it. Um, in 1995, her re-recording of "I Will Always Love You" um performed as a duet with Vince Gill won the Country Music Association's Vocal Event of the Year award. So that was cool. She's saying that she's re-recorded and sang that song many, many times. Parton was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1999. Nice. Parton recorded a series of bluegrass inspired albums beginning with The Grass is Blue. <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> me me titling me titling the episodes. <laughs> the grass is blue. Oh wait, the grass bluegrass. is blue. Bluegrass. <laughs> it like blue just grass. occurred to me. Like what? <laughs> this is a pop album. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the equivalent i love those tide commercials that like this is a tie dad that was her naming that album this is a bluegrass album the grass is blue well it won the grammy award for best bluegrass album <laughs> oh my gosh um dolly parton earned her second academy award nomination for best original song for traveling through which she wrote specifically for the feature film trans america and trans america i didn't know this is about um, a transgender woman and due to the song and Phil's acceptance of this woman being transgender Dolly Parton received several death threats which I thought was really interesting but she's like she really stood by the LGBTQ community um, she does a lot of fundraising and she's done a lot of fundraising for HIV and AIDS research which is Good cool for her. Um, Dolly started her own record company Dolly Records and released her first single from her own record label um Better Get to Live In in September 2007. In 2008, she wrote the music and lyrics for the Broadway show 9 to 5, the musical. Um, and Good. it featured uh, it, just before she had released an album called Backwoods Barbie. And that, that album and that record is one of the songs in 9 to 5, um, including the song 9 to 5. And it's so good. Such a good musical. So funny. Excellent music. She did a great job. 
Her album Blue Smoke was released in the United States on May 13, 2014, and it debuted at number six on the Billboard 200 chart, making it her first top 10 album and her highest charting solo album ever. She has collaborated with many on her songs, including the Pentatonics on their cover of Jolene, Kesha on Old Flame Can't Hold a Candle to You. I love that song. Um, and for her goddaughter, Miley Cyrus. <laughs> she, say, wasn't she Miley, Hannah Montana's grandmother on the show? She's Hannah Montana on the show. And in real life, she is Miley Cyrus's godmother. Um, oh. Billy Ray Cyrus is a longtime friend of hers. Um, she co-wrote the song Rainbow Land. And she um, is featured as backup vocals on that song. And that's a beautiful song, Rainbow Land. Mm. Um, as she got older and richer, Parton invested much of her earnings into businesses in her poor Tennessee hometown. So she's, put, she's given a lot of money back to Tennessee. Um, and part of this is through the Dollywood Company, which operates mm-hmm. the Dollywood Theme Park in East Tennessee, which is um, the 24th most popular amusement park in America, according Good. to Wikipedia. Um, but it's really nice because it gives a lot of money back to this like very poor community and has provided a lot of jobs and wealth in that area. In 2016, for their 50th wedding anniversary, her husband and her renewed their wedding vows, so they're still together for 50 so years. Dolly Parton and Carl Dean have no children of their own, but they did help raise several of Parton's younger siblings when they lived in Nashville. And the book talks about this, how like they were like, okay, we'll just take the five youngest ones. <laughs> their, like, mom wasn't doing well. It doesn't really go into why, but I think it's because her mom wasn't doing well. They talked a lot about how her mom was like very tired, um, very depressed, and they were very poor. And they were like they're like okay they they got like a nicer bigger apartment and they took in the five kids and then they're like great we have a two-story house and the kids were like what <laughs> um and then, but apparently her siblings call her aunt, stairs yeah her siblings call her aunt granny because she like raised them Aww. this is a crazy fun fact dolly the sheep was named after dolly parton because the sheep was cloned with cells from a mammary gland so they literally uh, were like we have to name the sheep what should we name it it's like well it sells from the boobs so <laughs> i also love dolly parton has been very upfront about getting plastic surgery she's like yeah i get plastic surgery like whatever and i love that she just like owns it and is like yeah. not trying to pretend that she hasn't she's like yeah like i gotta stay looking good i love her <laughs> um in 2003 her efforts to preserve the bald eagle through the american eagle foundation sanctuary at dollywood earned her the partnership award from the u.s fish and wildlife service Trying wow. to save the eagles. In December 2006, Parton pledged $500,000 toward a proposed $90 million hospital and cancer center to be constructed in Se- Seaverville on the name of Dr. Robert F. Thomas, who is the physician that delivered her. So this this hospital and cancer center is going to be in her town. She's going oh, wow. a lot of money towards it. So she has two honorary degrees. The first one, it didn't say what it was in, but the second one was an honorary doctor of humane letters from University of Tennessee in 2009. Um, Parton has received 46 Grammy nominations, um, which ties wow. her with Bruce Springsteen for the most um, for the most Grammy nominations and positioning her in 10th place overall. This is also the most nominations of any female artist in the history of the prestigious award, um, and that record is tied with Beyonce. So her and Beyonce both both have 46 Grammy nominations. Her, Beyonce, and Bruce Springsteen. Pretty cool. Um, her discography includes an impressive 50 studio albums, six live albums, 
five soundtrack albums, and about 183 compilation albums worldwide. She is the best-selling female country music artist of all time. (laughs) But can you imagine me, like, how many albums you got? Oh, like 50. Like, Taylor Swift's out here on six. (laughs) She she releases one every, like, three years. (laughs) Dolly's like, you want one? Here you go. (laughs) She's literally at least almost one every year (laughs) since she started. <laughs> wow, I love her. <laughs> it's true. Um, and I'll, I'll end on a Dolly quote. Above everything else I've done, I've always said I've had more guts than I've got talent. Aww. Don't That's you just sweet. love her to pieces? She's the best. She's truly an icon. Bum, and bum, that. Bum, bum, bum. If you want to see Sarah like immediately start dancing. (laughs) Yeah, just play that song. A visceral a visceral reaction. Love that song. Um that's everything about Miss Dolly Parton. Wow. Um, all right. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com, where we post lots of fun and exciting things about our episodes. If you like what you're listening, please consider donating to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash YKWIBW Podcast. Um, please, please, please subscribe. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Spotify, and if you do that, we will be downloaded immediately onto your phone every Wednesday, so you don't even have to worry about it. It'll be there waiting for you, waiting for you to listen to while you drink your wonderful cup of morning coffee or tea or whatever you drink. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us, I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com, and we will put it onto the show. Um, we are recording this two weeks in advance, so if something wild happens and we didn't acknowledge it in the show, then I apologize, but <laughs> I can't imagine what it would be but like can you imagine if there's like some crazy thing and they're like they didn't even mention this crazy thing we normally we normally mention crazy things like we'll be back at you with the crazy things okay (laughs) next week next week sarah you know what i've been wondering what have you been wondering what's this note you put on our (laughs) shared note that says missing case timothy pitson you wanted to do a crime one go for it cool it, yeah he's a, he's a kid that went missing and it was mysterious and i found out about this around the time i was do i was researching um the hindenburg i was like what's the thing that i researched <laughs> that uh, <laughs> oh i should have asked about the Lindbergh baby sorry right. so we'll come back to time. it it's too soon after amelia Earhart. <laughs> you know what i've been wondering what's this note that you left <laughs> you know what i mean you know what, what is this thing that you're clearly wondering about <laughs> All right, great. Yeah, no, I was curious, but you were the one who pitched it. <laughs> no, be great. I love doing some true crime. This will be great. Um, okay, Jane, you know what I've been wondering? <laughs> what have you been wondering? This is a request from our roommate Kelsey. Um, and this is something I don't know a lot about because it revolves around a certain band that I've only gotten into really recently. Oh no! Oh no! No no! I think I know where this is going. <laughs> And that band is One Direction. What? <laughs> <laughs> you just tell me about the Larry conspiracy theory. Larry silence and I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm so excited. I have to text Sam. Literally, Kelsey was telling me that there's this 15-year-old girl on YouTube who is like 
comb through everything of One Direction and is like, I have receipts. Larry is real. And I want to know, I want to know all about it. I want to know why people are so convinced it was real. What's the evidence? Like, what's, when did this start? Like, it's still happening. Sure. Many people think Born 18 is a Larry song, and I kind of agree. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful song. I love it very much. So I want to okay. <laughs> you know okay. it as well with truth. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>